Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelly Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Today, as promised, I have a guest, Michael Arterberry. I know I've been talking about him for months that he was going to be a guest on the show. Today is that day, and I want to give you a little background on Michael. As a teenager, Michael was fortunate to receive guidance from positive adult role models who helped him overcome adversities and set high expectations for his future. Grateful for the role these mentors played in his own development, Michael decided to dedicate his professional life to helping people navigate the difficulties of life and launch their future into motion. For more than 25 years, he has been helping teens and adults to use what they have gone through as a catalyst for success rather than an obstacle for failure. Michael received the 2010 USA Network's Characters Unite Award for exceptional commitment to combating prejudice and discrimination while increasing tolerance and acceptance within the community. He is also the recipient of the 2014 100 Men of Color Award for leadership in education, government, mentorship, entrepreneurial success, and community service. In 2008, Michael founded Youth Voice Centers, a nonprofit with the mission of helping young people to become active, productive members of society by overcoming their obstacles, their history, stereotypes, and even their own self-image and limiting beliefs. Michael, welcome to the show. Yes, yes, we are here. We're going to have a phenomenal show just because it was so hard getting together. Sounds like a plan. So for my audience, you know, I've been talking about this. Michael actually reached out to me. I'm pretty sure it was spring of last year. And one thing after another, including this past week when I had dental surgery last week and my calendar forgot to pick it up, I had to move him again. I'm like, of all people, of all people, yeah. I have to move one more time. Thank right. you for your patience. And That's I have not to, a problem. And I have to laugh. My husband says I have to quit using the expression, the patience of Job. He goes, no one knows what you're talking about. I'm like, doesn't everybody know who Job is? <laughs> I know yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And I'm honored that you would compare me to him. <laughs> <laughs> You've had it this year with dealing with me, my dear. So tell uh, us a little bit about your story, because I love some of your, um, there's two things in your intro that I just love, because when I was raising my own son, big thing for me was you will be a contributing member of society. It was like, you, you just can't be coasting along or be a weight. You need to contribute and, and such. And of course you talk about limiting beliefs, which I talk about a lot on this podcast. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your story and how things got started. All right. So what I want to do is I want to tell you a story to set the table, to talk about my story. Okay? Sounds so, great. So um, it's about a farmer and a donkey. And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working with the donkey on the field, he brings the donkey back home and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. And so imagine he comes up the, the driveway and the kids come running out the house and they wash him, they ride him. And so he's more like a pet and a farm animal. Um, and so the, doc, the farmer brings him home one night, they do their ritual, and then he releases him out to the farm. The following morning when the farmer comes out, 
to, to go to work, he calls the donkey, but the donkey doesn't show up. So when the donkey doesn't show up, he starts walking around the farm and he's calling his name and he finally hears the donkey making noises at the bottom of an empty water well. During the evening, the, the donkey was wandering and he fell into the well. Of course, he couldn't get out. So now the farmer wants to get him out of the well. So he brings over six of his friends and they decide that they're going to pull him out of the well with some rope. So all six of them get rope and they start lassoing the donkey. They throw the rope, they miss. They throw the rope, they miss. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He's smart enough to step in it. They shimmy it up his body and they start to pull. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then all of a sudden, the donkey doesn't move anymore. And they realize that he's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now the farmer has to make a grim decision. Now see, the farmer can't feed him food at the bottom of the well because that doesn't make any sense. The farmer can't starve him because he's more like a pet and a work animal. One of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. Farmer's like, no, I can't do that. So one of his more reasonable friends stepped up behind him and whispered in his ear, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey. We're going to cover him with dirt. Your kids will be safe, but your donkey has to go. And the farmer decided that he could live with that. So they all get shovel shelly and they start shoveling dirt. And every time that dirt would hit the donkey, the donkey would scream. And every time the donkey would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence. But they went back to work. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. So you see the top of his head. And then... They, they get happy and they shovel more, more dirt and then the donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So this is the moral of the story. Every time the dirt came across the wall, it would fall on the donkey's back. He would shake it off and he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now I tell you this, Shelly, because I am the donkey. And what I want to do to help set the table is to share some of my dirt. I grew up in a home with a raging alcoholic father. Now, when I say raging, it's raging with a capital R. And because of his raging, he, he, he raged from the time I was born to the time he died when I was 16. And I didn't have one day of peace the entire time that he was alive. What I mean by that to bring you into it is, even if I got caught up with having fun, there would always be my conscience or that voice that would tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, don't get too caught up in it because you have to go home. On top of growing up uh, with a raging alcoholic father, I grew up in poverty. Now, the sad thing is, is both my parents worked full time. My dad was a bus driver. My mom cleaned homes. She was a housekeeper. But my dad's money went to drinking. My mother raised four kids with a housekeeper's house. So we didn't have much money. You know, we, 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 she gave us what she could. And we were good kids because we never asked for things that we knew she couldn't get us. Um, and last but not least, I grew up in dysfunction. You know, when the head of your household is an alcoholic, 
you know, everything else kind of trickles down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of my, I don't want to call it a fond memory, but to show you how the dysfunction really played out in my home is I can remember my parents having these blowout arguments to like three or four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like in grade school and my mom would just put my clothes on the next morning. She wouldn't talk about it. We didn't, we wouldn't debrief it. I would get on the bus and I would have to take this and deal with it. You know, um, the silver lining to it, and we can get to the questions, is the fact that I was able to endure all of that. And we'll talk about how I got through it. Um, and that's the catalyst for why I want to help other people. Excellent. Um, there's really nothing to say, but I am so sorry that you went through that. And unfortunately, it is too too often a story of so many. And I know exactly what you mean when you say, well, Shelly, it wasn't, it just, even when I went and had a good time, there was no leadership. There was no um, love. There was no example being set in the home when a parent is so lost in the bottle like that or in right. violence or whatever. And there's no example. And like right. you say, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. No, thank you so much for sharing that story with us uh, very much. So how did that change things? Because you say 16, he passed away? Yes. Was yes. he in the home up until that point? Or did, was, was there some years of illness? Or no, at 16, no. did it just all change? No, he was in the home. But you want to know something, Shelly? What I was able to do, and it's something that I pass on, not only to my teenager, but to adults as well, is I was able to create this world where I was able to navigate through that and not get touched. So check out what I did. Wow. My God blessed me to be a phenomenal athlete. Okay. So my mom, being an African-American woman that didn't believe in counseling, immediately got me into sports. So from the age of eight until I graduated high school, I played basketball, baseball, football, and soccer, rotated all the, the seasons. And when I got to my senior year in high school, I could have gone to college for all four of the sports. Now I oh, wow. set that up to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tell you that because my coaches became my father figures. My teammates became uh, my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and the accolades that I got for being so good in the sports became what you would get when you walked in the house with a traditional home. So, Sometimes I feel so lucky because having the, for the, the, the other home, meaning the one that I, I made course. up in my mind, it protected me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could see that yeah. big time. Yes. Yeah. It protected me. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, him and his antics, you know, they would bother me at the moment, but I knew I was going to get up in the morning and be able to go back to that other world. Absolutely. Oh, thank God for that. Every time yeah. I hear a story like that, I just, my heart just goes boom, boom. It's like, yes, because you have to, not everyone gets that chance, but when it's there, when there is, it's funny today of all days, I was doing a podcast and the, um, the meditation book was when the, when a door closes, you know, God opens a window, that old expression. And it was talking about how just because this gate or this door is closed that you think that's the way it's not the only way there is often another way, but we, so many people get so focused on only what's in front of them. Right. They don't take a step back or turn around and just look for what they need elsewhere. Yes. Oh, that's an excellent example. 
So where did that take you to then? You know, what I did is I, I, I started to, you know, live life. Uh, I went off to college on a football, not a scholarship because I didn't like to go to class. So I didn't have the grades. <laughs> so I ended up at a smaller school um, playing football. Um, and I, I played the football. I tried out for professional football. Um, I didn't make it. Um, I, I, I majored in social work. And what I did is, is I, I learned at a young age, I was a camp counselor that um, kids were drawn to me. So as a camp counselor, they would always give me the kid that misbehaved. So they'll just drop Johnny in my group and be like, here, Michael, he's yours. And Johnny would end up loving me. And then everyone would be like, wow, what, what did you do? And, and I would never do anything special um, again, like the gift of playing sports, I think it's just part of who I am. And so I combined my life, my education, and my gift. And I went on as a social worker and I started to, uh, you know, really touch young people's lives, the youth. Um, I started to work in different, uh, I, I, I worked in a foster care agency and then I was a youth development worker. Um, and, and, Going through that experience gave me the ability to be able to reach out and touch young people um, that I feel or felt as if um, not only ones that had stories that were similar to mine, but I feel like I, I can touch people um, from all backgrounds and from all different places. You don't have to come from trauma right. for me to be able to feel where you may have a voice. So you can relate. And they say nowadays they're realizing in, in psychology, that is the number one thing that's missing lots of times is the relatability. If you can yeah. relate to someone, you can help them. Yes. Because people just want to be seen and heard. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. Excellent. And when you say you worked, you mean you worked in the system, right? These are yeah. jobs like government or private. Yeah, You're yeah. out using your your um, your uh, degree in the system working. Yes. Just as a side note, how was that though? I you had nothing but positive to say, <clears throat> but was it also at the same time hard to to see so much of it out there? Because did you but think she, you were alone when, when you were in your own home? Did you think you were the only one like this, or did you see it elsewhere? Well. Um... You know, my brother and I laugh about it. it you, you didn't think it was, you, you knew it was elsewhere because your whole street, my whole neighborhood was like that. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going through what I was going through in my whole house and then everyone else on the street lived with, you know, with a silver spoon and uh, uh, the white picket, you know, the, you know, the fence. fence. Yeah. But let me tell you, yeah, um, but let me tell you, I'm glad you asked that. The system is crazy, Shelly. It is. And, and what made me get out of it is working in the foster care system, it's modernized slavery. So what you would do is you would go to these meetings. So when you work in a group home, there's settings where 10 or 12 kids live in a house. There's supervisors that are like parents and then there's staff. But the agencies would swap these kids based on money and level of services. Oh. So, okay. you know, they'll, they'll say like, I'll take four kids with this level of services and you take three kids. And, and I sat at the table watching them, how they use this system. And it finally got me to the point where I was like, listen, I got to get out of here. 
Mm-hmm. People are a commodity. These kids were a commodity. Commodity. Oh, oh, yeah. that would have been tough. So what? Yeah. What? Yeah. What changed then? Obviously, clearly that that you could not handle that anymore. Then what happened? And was there a timeline between that and you starting your own? Okay. So yeah. what happened? Yeah. 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 Um, let's segue into that. What happened was, is I, I was, I continued to be given curriculums, working with these youth, where an executive director would go online, it would look pretty, mm-hmm. they would give it to me, I would roll it out, it would not be successful, and then I would get in trouble. So like, I would, I would get reprimanded because you bought it, and you wanted me to do this system, and it didn't work. So I got frustrated with that. And what I said I'm going to do is, is, is I'm going to create my own. And so I sat like at my table and I put together my own youth development program, which I call Power of Peace. Okay. Um, and it's done in four days over a two day period, two days for, for each level, two levels. Um, and the program is put together where I run them through two days of experiential activities, which allows them to get to know themselves, but I do it with groups of 20. So they get to interact with 20 other people learning about themselves. And that group is compiled of a cross section of students. So white, black, Latino. And so that's what you have. Um, And, you know, I feel that we go through life and we step on landmines the landmine doesn't blow you up, but it causes damage. And we start to make decisions based on the damage rather than what's going on in real time. Yes. So So often. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I have the kids go back through their lives and find their landmines to make sense of the landmines and realize that what I went through at seven and eight doesn't have to take away from the quality of my life moving going forward. forward. Oh, yes. excellent. Oh, I just love to hear that. So were these kids mostly at risk kids or just kids or just any, any walk of life or were they at risk kids or were they kids no. dealing with past trauma? No. So let's imagine your principal, Shelly. Okay. I come into your office. So I'm going to show you how they put the group together. Okay. I ask you for a cross section of students. So what oh. I want... Yeah, out of the 20 students is I want white, black, Latino. I want honor roll, struggling student. So I want that room to be a sample of everything that's in your building. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Sorry, I get very excited about that kind of stuff. So few people have that frame of uh, mind and reference. I believe you learned from other people's experiences. Why should everyone have to recreate the wheel? And if you can bring somebody's pain into a room, doesn't matter where it came from. They could be a rich little twit that's got her cell phone and her new car paid for and she's 16 and she's living in pain and hasn't eaten in three days and she's throwing up her food and she's living on prescription drugs. You have no idea what somebody's story looks like. Because right. of this image. Yeah. So yeah. I love, okay, so right out of the gate, you asked for a webbing, cross-section of it all. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and what, what's beautiful about it, and you, you, just, you just brought it out, is, is I do this activity with them, and I call it concentric circles. So, okay. Shelly, I want you to imagine these different kids, they come in a room, a lot of them 
seen have seen each other but never interacted. And I do I run them through an activity where there's an inner circle circle and an outer circle. Okay. And I give them five questions that they have to answer with five different people and I keep rotating them. Um, so the first question is um, a person of people I respect and why I respect them, mm-hmm. qualities that I look for in a friend. If I had um, the chance to change something in the world, what would it be and why? Uh, a time I felt most hurt by someone I trusted and a time that I lost someone I really cared about. Okay. They do the five questions. Each person talks a minute, then they rotate. And then after I have them do this, um, I pull them back out to the circle. Now, when you talk about the different people learning from each other, when I pull them back out to the circle, Shelly, before I even speak, I stop and I say to them, do you feel that? And they all look around and they're like, whoa. And what happens, Shelly, is when they come into the room, everybody is just a face. We do these five questions, 20 minutes of activity, now each one of these faces now becomes a person. And it, yeah, and from (laughs) that point forward, these kids dive into learning about each other's stories, but at the same time realizing that even though I may be in the mansion, you know, the mansion family may have a mom that's a coke addict, the kid that's from the ghetto may have a mom that's a crack addict, two drugs from cocaine from, you know, the crack is the cheaper drug. It's just economics. The The addiction is still the same. And the horror is still the same. Still the same. Absolutely. I did a course in my late twenties, about 27 ish. And that sort of exercise was done. It changed my life. I can't even imagine of having, have having have had the opportunity 10 years earlier to have that experience, how that would have changed and formed my young twenties as I was going through so many, so many of my own issues and my own pain, even the stuff I caused myself. (laughs) No, no one did it to me, but (laughs) just to have that knowledge and to understand that understanding would have just been such a gift. So how did your youth center get started then? So you were working, so we've done the, you did the social work thing. Then you went on to your own and said, I can do this better. Well done. Right. right. Uh Then where did you take it from there? So what happened was, is I'm at an agency and I created my program and I go to them and I say, listen, I have this, I'll do it for you, but then you have to pay me. So they, 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 they created a position for me and I started doing my program through them. My executive director got really friendly, friendly with me and she showed me, I don't know why, Shelly, but she showed me how much money was coming into the agency because of the success of, of my program. But then my brain is saying, wait a second, you only pay me this. <laughs> this kind of money's coming. The math wasn't e- equated, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. I was still happy to be doing my own thing and getting paid. And so they take me to a lunch to meet a philanthropist. And so I'm there because we want to get into this woman's pocket. So it's my boss, the guy that writes the grants, the philanthropist and her lawyer, and we're at this lunch. And so we're sitting at a table and um, 
everybody's talking and eventually they, they kick it to me. So now I'm going to give the accolades to my program and I'm going to schmooze her a little bit. So I'm a man of faith. Uh, I hope, yes. is that all right to talk about uh, on your show? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> my a man listeners of, I, get it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm a man of faith. So I'm telling you, I have these notes that I have written and they're under, they're like on my lap, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like in this cards and I just crumble them up in my hand, Shelly. And I tell this woman, your money is safe with me because the person that I'm accountable to is God. Don't the spirit move me. I say it, Shelly. Now imagine the table. Everyone's the, my boss. She turns red. She's a white woman. <laughs> She's red. The grant writer's face is red. I'm staring into the kitchen. I'm like, my wife's going to kill me. I'm fired. The lawyer is laughing. And once it's settled, the lawyer says, Michael, I just want you to know that um, Pat, the philanthropist, is a devoted Christian. <laughs> yes, I stepped right into it, Shelly. And so saying that, you know, God is, anyway, the whole conversation shifted. And by the end of the lunch, she agrees to give money to my program, to the agency, mm-hmm. but wanted to meet with me for breakfast to fellowship once a month. And so we start meeting once a month for the breakfast mm-hmm. and just just fellowshipping. And then finally it hit me, Shelly. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna ask this woman to give me the money. So I call her up on the phone and I'm like, Pat, um, would you give me the money to do the program? Now she's unaware that it's mine. She thinks I do a program well for this agency, but she- Oh, loved- okay. Yeah, yeah. But she, she liked me enough. You know, this woman said she would give me half. So when I called her, she said, listen, I'll give you half. I'll keep half with the agency so they're not angry. And you can go do your thing. So when I heard that, I panicked. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But by the time I went for the next breakfast, she did her homework. And every time she would meet me, Shelly, she would bring famous people. Like she had like that kind of money. And so this morning that I met her, there was an executive of a gospel record label. So he's there. And before I can sit down, she says, I'll give you all the money. And I'm like, whoa, wait, wait a second. So she realized that it was mine. And so when I started to back out of it, I'll never forget the executive from the record label looks at me and he says, what would your kids say if they ever knew you had this opportunity and you didn't take it? Fair enough. And I, yeah. And you know what? I took it. So when you say where did the <laughs> nonprofit come from? I left that, that breakfast. I called my wife. This woman said, whatever you need to set up your nonprofit. She says, don't worry. Whatever you put out, I'll replenish. And this woman gave me a hefty check. That's just the hand of God at moments like yeah. that. You know, oh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people is. use universe and I do in my show as well. No, just no. But that's the hand of God. I mean, that yeah. is, you say, why did I crumple up the paperwork? Why did they have this reaction? Because I just believe in divine intervention and inspiration. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they're just things you can't explain away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's Fantastic. how you got started. Now, is that yeah. still run? That still runs today. Your profit nonprofit is right, still active right. today. Yes. But what happened was that made it a little difficult. No, a lot difficult. Is she died. Oh, I'm sorry. And, well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm, me too. I'm sorry because her and I, 
she gave money to many people. Mm -hmm. And I realized this with the breakfast that we would have. Um, but her and I, and some people had a relationship with her because of the money, mm -hmm. but we, we became, we, we were yeah. friends. Yeah. You know, she was much older than I was like my grandmother's age, but, but we were friends. And when she died, I think many people were sad because her money was now a conflict where I was very upset because I lost a friend, but and I say partner. that too. she was your partner yeah, yeah, in reaching these kids. Yeah. 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 But um, her sons decided that they wouldn't carry on her legacy. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they 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 cut all funds. Um, I had money, like saved, because you were a nonprofit. I, I made sure I, I spent what she gave me. But um, you know, long story short, I I I've I've struggled on and off throughout the years because nonprofits are not like for profit. So oh, I, I get my yeah I get my funds from grants, um, and and other philanthropists. So. When she passed away, it, it, it became difficult to continue it, but it still goes. Okay. So it's not a physical center. It's a, it's a program, a service that you do. So you'll go still into schools and, and youth centers and things like that. You're not running a physical building at this point that you no, had to keep no. making payments on and blah, blah, blah. Right, okay. Right, oh, right. excellent. Yeah. No. So really you had virtual all the way down already. Virtual and just <laughs> season the, professional. Yeah. <laughs> The ability to move, move and, and do things. I think that um, my vision at one time was uh, a place. And I mentioned it at one of those breakfasts um, we had. And she said, go to it. She sent me out there. She's, you had to be careful because she had the money. So if you ever laid out something that was on your heart, she, she loved and cared for you so much, she would force you right. to do it. So... <laughs> I mentioned it. And when I mentioned it, you know, I thought about getting a um, like the grounds of what I worked on with the group homes. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, a lot of times I had in the system, you would take a kid from the city, bring them to the country, civilize them, and then send them back to the city. So I wanted to be able to create a place where they can come up you can do the work on them. And then if worst case scenario, acclimate them slowly to bring them back to their environments. In the last year, what has changed? Because was your Shake the Dirt experience, um, the course that you got on your website right now, was that there a year ago or is this new, newer? I didn't think so because I'm thinking yeah. this website looks different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All so right. What, so you've been busy this past oh, year. Oh, oh, you don't want to know. So what happened Sure was, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right before COVID, I went to a branding conference at, in California. The, the conference taught that you had to be globally aware. People need to know you globally. So when yes. I came back, Shelly, I, I, this is how I, I found you, is, is I started to send emails to any podcast that I felt spoke the same language. Uh. And, and Shelly, since COVID, I've been on over a hundred podcasts. Oh my goodness. I was on your website to see your podcast list. I went, this man yeah. has been busy. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's a hundred. So that's all since we started COVID. And what I did wow. is in the midst of COVID, I, I, I took my program that I do in person mm -hmm. 
and I, I created a virtual model that I can do with teenagers. And then what you see on my website is what I call a 10 day challenge, okay. which is, is a, a new piece that's been birthed out of the pandemic. Okay. Is your avatar still with the youth? Uh, or do you, you think know, anyone could take that course? Anyone, anyone. Okay. My, my, my material um, is not youth based. It's based on your life experience. Excellent. So okay, good. When I do staff development or I do a youth group, I, I, I come with the same thing. I don't have to change it depending on my, my, my group. Excellent. Okay, good. The reason I asked that is listeners, guys, you go to michaelarterberry.com. His course is there. It's $99. That is exceptional value, especially after you probably have heard him right now. And I really encourage you do this for yourself. I'm a huge believer in investing in yourself. And honestly, if you're a parent and have a teen that you're struggling, you worry about, let me rephrase that, or maybe you are struggling, still get the course, do it with them. Yeah, do it yes, for yourself, definitely. do it for them. Um, I just think there's so much of it can cross over so many uh, lines of age and race and all that kind of stuff. And what we can learn in, when we're younger, or even what we learn as parents when we're helping those younger people can just change everything, can just yes, change everything. Yes. So yes. yes. Okay. I figured the course was new. So that's what you do. That's so that sh the shake the dirt experience, right? Yeah. Yes, that is. Okay. Yep, shake the dirt experience is new. Okay. And now tell us about your book. Michael ends okay. everything, folks, by telling you to be encouraged. Be <laughs> and encouraged. that is the name of the book. That's right. That's right. This so I, I spend my quiet time every morning with, with God. Mm -hmm. And um, when I come out of my quiet time, um, what I was doing for a while is I would write my thoughts and put it on Facebook. So it would be like, like when you came to my page, it was like a daily devotional. Excellent. And I started to do this on a daily basis and I would get likes and comments. And then a woman that was following me sent me a message in my inbox. She was dying of cancer. Um, and she says, Michael, if I could have all of your stuff in one place, it would be a blessing. So of course I heard it. The Holy Spirit moved me. Good. So what I did <laughs> is I went back and I found uh, with the help of my wife, my favorites, and I took them, I put them in a book, dedicated the book to her. And so my book is like a devotional. It's 250 pages, 250 days of motivation and encouragement. And what it is, is each page is just a, 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 a driving force to help you find perspective on wherever you may be in your life at the time. Okay. You know what I mean? And so um, I wrote it, I dedicated it to her and that's the book it is, you know, so many people that buy it and they, and they talk about how when they open a page and they read it, they feel like I read their mind, mm -hmm. but it's because, you know, a lot of us have, have similar experiences. They cross over. Um, and, and so, you know, my book is to speak to people and give them encouragement so that they can find a silver lining in anything that they may go through in their life. Oh, I love that. 
Did everyone hear that? You can find a silver lining in anything you go through in your life. We talk about that a lot here. That's why we talk about not living in regret. And that's why we talk about high functioning habits to being the best that you can be in any area. So yes, you and I definitely are on the same page on that one. So let me ask you that question. Um, in your journey, was there anything you changed or whatever you had done? I mean, clearly, actually, this is actually a bit redundant because you've laid it out quite clearly how you, and why you're living your life. But in order that you aren't living in regret, is there anything specific that drives sort of that in your life? You know, what, what allows me to not live in regret is the fact that, um, and I teach this, is, is I broke a cycle. Excellent. I broke a cycle. And, and what I mean by that is I remember, mm-hmm. Shelly, I grew up in this home that really had heat in the winter. And I remember a night falling asleep and tears coming out of my eyes as a child. And I said to myself, when my kids, when I have my own kids, my kids will never have to live in an environment like this. And I say this to you because I remember times where if, if I felt like I couldn't do it, my unborn children were the ones right. that kept me going, you know, um, and my kids, I have a, a, a two-sided story. So I have the before and after mm-hmm. where my kids only have the after, you know, so I don't have any regret because I feel as if I took what I went through, I applied it in the proper places. And so, you know, I've been able to, to set a clear path and my job, you know, I didn't need therapy. I mean, I went to therapy right before I got married, but that was separate because I didn't want to be like my dad. And I wanted to make sure that I, I went to a therapist, being a social worker, I knew better. And I just wanted to put everything on the table so that I wouldn't walk into my marriage and bring any, any of that junk with me. Right. But um, my job allows me to speak about my story every day. So I don't have to walk around with the bones in the closet and having things hinder my progress because I get paid to talk about the things that people, you know, you're going to earn a living doing your own therapy. Now you're a motivational speaker as well, aren't you? You sit yes, on stage and do you have a kind of an, an avatar client there? If any of my listeners were looking for someone to speak at a, at an event or an engagement, something in particular. You know, I feel as if my message is universal and I'm not saying that so that I can sidestep you and just say that I fit everyone, Shelly, but, but it's the truth. And even with the podcast, some people were offended when I send them an email because they're like, how the heck do you think that you match what I do? And and I, I would be, yeah, yeah. And they would go that far. So my no. thing is- if you're, yeah. I haven't if had you, that happen in four and a half years. So either way, yeah. so I, wow. Okay. Yeah. But, and, and, <laughs> and my thing is, if you feel like we're not a match, why answer the email? Just, just leave it alone. But they would yeah. write back. But I say for those that chose to step out, Shelly, I've been on podcasts of guys, uh, a gentleman who trains dogs. You know what I mean? Um, I've been on a podcast with music teachers, um, I mean, the scope 100 podcast is so wide. So when you say, who do I speak to? I think my message is a message that can speak to anyone that feels as if they're at a, in a place in their lives where they just want to feel or get 
the perspective of freshness, newness. Yes. Excellent. You know okay. what I mean? Yes. And yeah. that could be yeah. you, that could be valid anywhere in so many right. types of, you could be in a corporate environment for that or in a school for that or in a home or a church. It could, 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 that really could just be about anything. Yes. Oh, excellent. Okay. Your niche is unique in the fact that you're right. We are taught that you can't be everything to everyone, but I think there's right. some things that are just universal. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I truly believe that. And it's funny that just go back to the people that react so negatively. Sorry, I can't even. I know I remember that it took me a couple of years to sort of ask for some of my, um, who I would want in the show that perhaps people that I was like, were a little, you know, further above me yet and further along in their careers. And why would they want to be on my podcast? I've never even been turned down yet. So it was always such a shock to me. But my coach, I was talking to him this morning and he says, you know, when we place things out on social media, he says, there's always going to be people that literally just want to argue with you. They don't want to just be on their Facebook wall and and spewing stuff. They want to come onto your wall and spew stuff. I'm like, he says, you're never going to change that in those people until they decide to change themselves. So like you say, is that an appropriate response to you reaching out? No, my gosh, for me, not on any planet, anywhere, anytime for anyone, but it says more about them than you. Yes. So much more. Yeah. So much more. Did you enjoy your experience being guests on all these venues the same? The genres were all different. What was that like? Let me tell you, being, and, and I'm going to be, be I, I, I always, Just be I'm gonna be, because I spend so much time with God, mm-hmm. some people can feel it off of me. Of course. And, and so that's the joy I would get when I would get on a podcast and we would get into the nuts and bolts of my story and I would share my spirituality and to watch a podcaster get moved. They're coming to get the information for their audience, but they've been moved by the message themselves would bring me joy. But you know what? One of the podcasters brought it home. I just did one with a gentleman in, in the UK. And what he said to me was, you have no idea how many people are doing their laundry, walking their dog, they're listening to your podcast, and their lives have been changed yeah. by something that you said. Yeah. And so when I think about 100 podcasts and that many ears, it's, it's, it's humbling. It is. I have to agree. It was my podcast coach is a Christian as well, Sam Crowley from Every Day is Saturday. And he's got one of the most number one podcasts in North America. And he used to say that as well. He says, you, you don't know who's just sitting, folding laundry and crying because something you said is what they needed to hear that day. Yeah. yeah. And you don't get to judge that. And you don't get to judge how God uses you, right. you know? So, you know what? We've got a few extra minutes here. So I, I do you mind talking about your, your faith and how you came to the Lord? Because my, yeah. my listeners are used to it. They know that I walk a line of very much a little more open in my older years, but I was raised in the Pentecostal church and my grandfather right. was a, a traveling minister, an evangelist. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So very, very used to it. I was raised in a Christian home then went right. you know, played in the secular world for a number of years. till I found myself in my own truth and beliefs. Um, but were you, was your mom a Christian or anything, or is this something you my, came my, to my, as an my, adult? Yeah. My mom was a seven-day Adventist. So I was raised that to maybe the age of eight, which I tell my story because what happened, that alcoholic father came home and told her, don't you dare bring him to that church ever again. So my church stopped with the seven-day Adventist church, but I always kept God in my life 
but I dove into it, Shelly. I went, my, 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 a friend of mine, he and his wife got baptized. They wanted to get baptized before they got married okay. to go, go in pure. I thought it was the most beautiful thing. And when they dipped my friend into the water, it was as if they dipped me in. Mm. And when he came up out of the water, Shelly, and I'm talking about, I was, I wasn't a bad dude, but I was somewhat of a renegade jewelry. <laughs> you know, I was, I had my, my things and I left that church and slowly but surely I just started to really, you know, I started to get tapes and books and I started to press in. Um, and, and let me tell you, I mean, as of today, I mean, it is it, it is my life, everything. I mean, I just had a conversation with my wife where I, I get into it with people that try to help me with my business mm -hmm. because I'm a firm believer that you put God first and once you put him first, everything else works out. So right. what happens when you come to help me with business, like I have a woman with my traffic on my website, even though I may not be having traffic on my website or on my social media, I'm still getting blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm getting showered with favor. <laughs> I'm making money, but it's not coming through the way that is traditional. And so my faith is, 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 is big. It's big. You know, it's, it's, it's something more people that need big faith. Yeah, yeah. And do. I think of all times in history that we've lived in. I mean, we have history that we study, but that we've lived through in our age brackets. It's, I haven't seen a year like this in a long, long time in my life. And I've lived through a couple of recessions. I lived through the Cold War. You know, I was a kid during all those times. And I look at this now and just go, people need faith. They yeah. need some joy. They need to know that light wins out over dark. So I really, yes. I really want to encourage people to have that faith. And when they hear someone like you that has been through what you've been through and are still giving back and you do it knowing that how it doesn't matter how God blesses you. It doesn't matter what avenue the money comes from, because we do just like talking about, you know, thinking the one way is the one way. Don't, don't close God off like that. I tell people no. when you even talk about law of attraction, do not put boundaries on what you think is coming, just let it happen. Yes. And just be, if you could just concentrate on receiving and not put in placing, we, we want to place all these rules and all these expectations and all these, but it should be done this way. I had Shelly Paxton on my show last year and she wrote a fantastic book, uh, The Rebel Soul. And uh, she goes, people, we're shooting all over ourselves. We should, it should be this way or it should be that way. And I grew up that way. Very black right. and white with the whole God thing. It was like, it was you know, Pentecostal. It was this way or it was no way, you know? Right. That took a lot for me to recover from. Right. <laughs> and to right. just be open to say, hey, it's not my plan. Yeah. I'm just the player. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's oh, it was it. wonderful. So just before we leave, um, your wife's book. That's, yeah. your, that's your story. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, God was holding my hand. And um, the beautiful thing about that story, when you talk about spirituality and the way that we got the title is um, I had a spinal cord injury. Okay. Um, yeah, I had a spinal cord injury. I had to get surgery. 
Um, and it's part of my story. And I mean, it's it's a whole nother podcast. So when you talk about having me back, we can possibly talk about the injury. Okay. But what happened? What happened was Shelly is is I'm in I'm in the recovery bed, and my right palm is burning. And I keep saying to the nurse, my right palm's burning. I'm happy because I think it's from the surgery. So I think, you know, I think like things are happening, and they they keep saying, sir, sir. Your lower extremities, only your lower legs. You shouldn't feel anything in your palm. So they think it's the drugs. I think maybe it's the drugs. I'm laughing. And then Shelly, I'm on my couch and I'm recovering. And, you know, you talk about the Holy Spirit and I'm seeing my recovery room and I see a chair right where my hand would lay off the recovery bed. And I think about how God is such a personal God that he, he was right in the chair. Shelly, he was right in the chair. He was holding my hand. My hand was on fire because my father was there with me during my recovery. And so we, we, we titled the God was holding my hand because when, when, I, when I had that revelation, I mean, it, it, it tore me up. You know, I cried for a little bit, but, you know, it's a reminder of how he's a personal God. Yes, Absolutely. Michael, thank you so much for being with us here today. It has been an absolute honor. I know, I hope everyone, you enjoyed everything you heard today. I hope you got some encouragement from it. Please visit Michael's um, website. I'll have everything in the show notes. Please check us out, check him out. Because in this time right now, we all just need more hope and we need more God. I truly believe that. Michael, have a great day. And everyone else, I'll catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com. You can also join the discussion on Twitter at livingwellwithshell and Instagram at www.instagram.com slash livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.